Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. On Friday's podcast, I talked about the concept of the Trump tariff put, and that's where all of the stock market bulls were speculating that, hey, there's no need to worry about the trade war and the tariffs because if the market actually goes down, if the tariffs actually prove to be an unexpected problem, well, then Trump will just take away the tariffs or soften his stance. And so we don't have to worry because if the market goes down, it'll go right back up because Trump will change his stance on tariffs. And of course, I talked about how I thought that was a bunch of nonsense. It is the type of wishful thinking, the type of just ignoring all of the bad news, whistling past the graveyard, the type of mentality that you have in a bull market where everything is good news and there is nothing to worry about. And we see the same behavior on display today with respect to the possibility, and not just the possibility, maybe the probability, that the Democrats will take control of Congress uh, based on the November elections. They're almost certainly going to take control of the House of Representatives. And they may, in fact, get the Senate. In fact, a couple of things that could happen to make the probability higher uh, would be a drop in the stock market between now and the election, which is certainly possible. A drop is long overdue. I mean, look at the bond market. I mean, yields on the 10-year and the 30-year were up again today. Uh, We haven't completely broken down yet, but to me, The chart looks ominous. I mean, there is a potential for a big break in the bond market, drop in price, up in yield, above 3.5% in the 10-year, maybe above 4% in the 30-year, in the short run. In fact, we got news over the weekend that the Chinese called off their uh, talks that they were going to have with Trump. And the market was somewhat optimistic on these renewed trade talks last week. The Chinese said the talks are off. We're not going to talk until 
Donald Trump, President Trump, stops threatening us, which means they're never going to have talks because Trump is never going to stop threatening. In fact, by telling Trump, right, by the Chinese actually calling Trump out on his threats and saying, we won't negotiate until you stop threatening, Trump's probably going to threaten even more. I mean, he's probably going to see this as a sign of weakness that the threats are working. And of course, he's not going to let the Chinese push him around. So, I mean, they should probably be using reverse psychology. But if you want President Trump to stop threatening you, the last thing you should do is dare him to stop threatening you because he is not going to do that. That's not in his nature. So we got this escalation of trade tension over the weekend and the bond market didn't catch a bid. Right? Stock market was down, not a lot. The Dow was down, what, 160, 180? I forget exactly. The NASDAQ, I think, uh, was down a smaller percentage than that. And, you know, the Dow was weak, even though you had oil stocks strong. Oil was up again today, over $72 a barrel. Uh, that market, again, looks extremely strong. Just like the bond market looks weak, the oil market looks strong. And you would expect that correlation because strong oil prices generally can reflect higher inflation, and higher inflation is bad for the bond market. But the point is, if the bond market really breaks between now and the election, it could certainly take the stock market along with it. And the fact that the bond market didn't catch a bid today uh, from both weak stocks and escalating trade tensions shows that the bond market is, in fact, very weak. Look at the dollar. The dollar did not catch a bid today. Uh, the dollar index closed down slightly, but it spent most of the day down. In fact, it spent part of the day below the 94 handle, even though it did close uh, slightly above it. But you have the dollar really at the low end of where it's been trading, the bond market at the low end of where it's been trading. And neither one of these markets uh, caught any buying, which is what had been happening previously from the escalation of, of trade tension. So that shows me that there is some vulnerability here in both the bond market and the dollar that ultimately could spill over into the stock market that could happen before the the midterm elections and of course since Trump is you know claiming so much credit for the rise in the stock market and using that rise to uh, validate his policies uh, to prove the, the efficacy of his policies and again the reason that we're winning the trade war is because our market is going up. Well, if the market is down a lot, even if it's still up since he was elected, if the recent move in the market is down, if the stock market is falling as voters are going into the polls, then the more recent performance could be what is more important than the absolute performance since Trump took office. And who knows? I mean, the market could crash at any moment. In fact, all of the gains could be eradicated. I do believe that when Trump finishes his term, the stock market will be lower than the day he was elected. Not only the day he was sworn in, but the day he was elected. Just like the market was weak under President Bush, right? The markets were lower when Bush left office than when he came into office. I think the same thing is going to happen with Trump. And I just expect Trump to have one term, not two, although I think the stock market was down during both of George Bush's terms. Had he been a one-termer, it would have been down in his first term, and it was down in his second term as well. But if the market goes down as investors or investors slash voters are in the polls, and even people who aren't investors, 
Because if you hear all the bad news about the market going down, then that may reflect poorly on your outlook for the economy or uh, whether or not you want to vote for Donald Trump. But if the market does go down before the elections, that makes it even more likely that the Republicans will lose control of maybe not only the House, but of the Senate. And also what's going on right now with Brett Kavanaugh and all of the issues surrounding uh, the allegations. And again, I've got a little bit more I want to talk to about that, and I will get into it in the back part of this podcast. But if all of that ends up hurting Republicans and helping Democrats, and of course the Democrats are doing everything they can to politicize what is going on. In fact, that is exactly why they are uh, pursuing this. It really has nothing to do with uh, Brett Kavanaugh and has everything to do with the issues that they're hoping to personify, not just in Brett Kavanaugh, but in all the Republicans who are defending him and all the Republicans who are attacking uh, this courageous woman who has come out finally after 36 years uh, to tell the truth. But if the Democrats get control of Congress, which is a likely occurrence, what I'm hearing now is that this is bullish for the stock market. The stock market bulls are saying that if we have divided government, that this is historically positive for the markets, and therefore it will be yet another positive for this stock market. So even if the Republicans lose control of the House and maybe even the Senate, it's okay because it's divided government and that is good. And this is a bunch of nonsense. Has divided government historically been a positive? I think so in that when you have a divided government, you are less likely to make progress in legislation. And since most legislation is harmful, the less legislation you get, the better. But in the situation we have now, the hope is that we will have deregulation, that the progress that Trump will make will be in removing uh, regulation. And obviously, if we lose control of the Congress, if the Democrats take control of Congress, if you were hopeful that we would have more deregulation, then your divided government will put a stop to that. So if divided government stops government from getting smaller, if that was ever going to happen, then it is not a good thing. If divided government stops the government from getting bigger, then maybe you could say it is a, it is a positive thing. But if you have built an entire stock market rally off of the supposed success of Donald Trump and his agenda and his ability to get his agenda through Congress, that ability is going to be substantially curtailed, if not completely eliminated, if the Democrats control Congress. Nothing that Trump wants to do will get through Congress. So if you've been betting that it would, then the Republicans losing control of Congress is definitely a bad thing. This is not Newt Gingrich and the contract with America when uh, Republicans got control of Congress and now they forced Bill Clinton to move to the right, right, and maybe stopped some of his big government agenda that might otherwise have gotten through a Democratic Congress when you had the Republican Congress putting a break on that agenda and moving the nation more to the center. Yes, that was a positive for the markets. The markets liked Republicans getting control of Congress when there was a Democrat in the White House who they thought was not uh, supportive of business. But why would losing a Republican Congress that is thought to be supportive 
of business and a pro-business agenda, why would losing control of Congress to the Democrats, to socialist Democrats, why is that bullish for stocks? How could you possibly think that is bullish for stocks if you think what we have now is bullish and now we lose a chunk of that? That just shows you that it doesn't matter what happens. These analysts are always going to say it's bullish. No matter what happens, it's bullish for stocks because stocks are going up because we don't want to even fathom the possibility that something that could happen would be negative for stocks. But not only is it negative in that if you believe that the Trump agenda was driving the economy and driving markets and the Democrats gaining control of Congress would be a roadblock to the continuation of that agenda, if you don't want to acknowledge that that is a problem, then you need to acknowledge that the bigger problem is what happens in 2020. Because if the Democrats make significant gains in Congress, not only do they take the House, but the Senate, right? if they make all these this headway, what does that tell you about the direction politically of the economy? And if the economy is doing so great right now, and if the Republicans can't hold Congress in what is supposedly a booming economy, with a roaring stock market, what is going to happen if we're in recession and in a bear market by the time we have the election in, in 2020? The point is that if the Republicans do horrible during this midterm election cycle, they're probably going to do horrible in the 2020 election, which means that Donald Trump is less likely to be reelected in 2020 if the Republicans lose control of Congress in 2018. And what does that mean? That means all the tax cuts are going away. That means we're going to have big tax increases on corporations, on the rich. So if you are so excited about the economy and the market, and it's all because of Trump, you should be admitting right now that if the Republicans lose Congress, that is a big troubling sign. That is, that is dangerous for the markets, that the markets could get killed. If all this good stuff goes away, if all this good stuff you know, is now in jeopardy because the political winds have shifted. But no, the stock market permeables aren't having a care in the world. They're, they're not worried about the trade war. We're going to win it. And even if we lose it, we're going to win it. It doesn't matter what happens in the midterm elections. We love it when Republicans have Congress and a Republican president. But you know what? We love divided government because that's just as good for the stock market because it's been good in the past. This is sticking your head in the sand and not wanting to acknowledge what should be obvious. You know, another scary thing about the Democrats gaining control of Congress is the type of stimulus that we are going to get in the next recession, which could easily start early in the next congressional session, early 2019. The U.S. economy ends up in recession, and, of course, we will get some type of stimulus package that is going to be passed that is going to send an already enormous budget deficit. I mentioned on the last podcast, we are setting record high budget deficits when the economy is booming and when we are at peace. I mean, we are spending more. I said we spent more money in August than in any month in the history of the country when we were in, at, in a war or during a great recession. We spent more during peaceful prosperity. So all sorts of things can go wrong, but certainly a recession would send the budget deficit skyrocketing all by themselves without Congress passing anything. 
just all the automatic, uh, you know, uh, things that kick in uh, in the budget as far as the reduction in tax revenues and the increase in expenditures uh, that automatically would be kicking in without any stimulus being passed. But of course, they, Congress can never sit by and do nothing, right? They always have to take some action, uh, even if the action is harmful. Uh, they have to do something. They can't just be seen as doing nothing, even if doing nothing is better than doing something bad. Uh, but they always want to do something. And obviously, if a Democratic Congress passes a stimulus, it is going to be a big government style, Keynesian, pump priming, deficit exploding stimulus with all sorts of government spending programs, uh, government, maybe an infrastructure thing that Trump would actually like, but of course, lots of money being spent. But it would not be tax cuts for the rich tax cuts for corporations. It's going to be government money for the poor and the middle class. And it is going to be uh, enormous increase in the size of government. And Donald Trump is going to sign whatever piece of Keynesian you know, nonsense the Democratic Congress passes. And the reason is he can't take the risk of vetoing it. Because what if the president vetoes a Democratic stimulus and then no stimulus uh, is passed and the recession continues and gets worse? He will not only be blamed for causing the recession, but for preventing the recession from being a cure because he would have vetoed the, the cure, the stimulus that was designed to you know, make the economy better, to heal the economy. Trump would have been the reason that the recession uh, continued, even if the recession still would have continued with the stimulus. In fact, even if the stimulus ends up making the recession worse, that doesn't matter. If he vetoes it, he is going to be blamed for any bad things that happen in the wake of the veto. Now, if he signs the stimulus and the economy gets worse, well, hey, he signed the stimulus. It's not his fault. You know, the Democrats are just as much to blame for the failure of the stimulus to work uh, as, as the president. So if the economy gets worse even with the stimulus, then it doesn't hurt the president any more than it's already hurt. Because, of course, he's going to get blamed for the beginning of the recession. And even if the stimulus is passed and the recession doesn't go away, he's still going to get blamed. It's just that he's not going to be able to be doubly blamed for having stood in the way of the Democratic cure. So he'd rather allow the Democrats to administer their cure and let it fail. The problem is not only will the cure fail, the cure will make the patient sicker. The recession is likely to be exacerbated by the budget-busting uh, bills that uh, the Democrats are likely to present Trump to sign. And of course, what is that going to mean? more inflation. The inflationary fires are already going to be burning hot before. Because remember, this is not going to be a repeat of the 2008 recession. This is going to be a recession with a falling dollar, with rising oil prices, rising inflation. It's basically going to be the mirror image of the 2008 recession, where instead of running towards the dollar, investors are fleeing the dollar. Instead of buying treasuries as a safe haven, People are looking to get out of treasuries in search of a real safe haven like gold instead of selling gold like they did in 2008 because it had just gone from 
300 to 1,000, they are going to be gobbling up gold. They're going to be buying gold as they're dumping treasuries and dumping dollars. And this means that QE is not going to work. QE is going to blow up in the Fed's face because they're not going to have the rest of the world buying up our bonds. They want to get rid of our bonds. So all of this government spending in the next crisis is going to throw fuel on the fire. But it's a fire that Donald Trump is going to get blamed for having started because he's already claimed he put it out. He's already branded this economy as his. This stock market is his. Everything is fantastic. I made America great again. We had the greatest economy ever, and it's all because of me. And when this whole thing comes crashing down around him, well, obviously blaming it all on Trump is going to be a layup. Now, the big news in the markets today, at least in the gold markets, there probably wasn't big news anyplace else, but I'm paying attention to it, was the announcement of a merger between Barrick Gold and Rand Gold. And this merger will create, I believe, what will now be the largest gold mining company in the world. Still a very small market cap compared to most other companies, but it will make it the biggest uh, in the mining sector. Both stocks, by the way, were up today on the merger. I think Barrick was up about 5.5% on the day. Still very, very low stock price uh, relative to where it started the year. Rand Gold, I think, was up about 6.5% on the day. The interesting thing is that there was very little if any, uh, impact on the rest of the sector. I mean, gold stocks in general didn't go anywhere. I mean, there were some that were up a little, some that were down a little, but the overall indexes did not even move up on the big gains in these two stocks and on what this is likely forecasting for the industry. Because if Barrick and Rangold are merging, maybe that's the indication that more mergers are coming, that it's not just going to be a one-off event, that the fact that these companies are getting together is not only going to put more pressure on their competitors to get together, but whatever forces uh, are behind this merger, whatever it has made these companies merge, those pressures are likely going to cause other companies to come to the same conclusion, right? They're merging to try to cut costs, to create some efficiencies and economies of scale. And this is something that you generally do at the bottom of a cycle. I mean, when gold prices are too low, this is the kind of thing that you expect to happen. You know, not when prices are booming. No, but when prices are down in bear markets, companies look to cut costs. And one way they do that is by merging with other companies. And then they can, you know, economize and they have some redundancies that they can, uh, you know, reduce. And that's what's going on. And that's generally bullish for the sector because it would mean that these companies will be doing accretive M&A deals. That will be good for overall shareholder value. It's also potentially a bullish indicator for gold because if there are fewer gold companies out there mining, uh, then there may be less overall production of new gold. There certainly will be less uh, exploration and development. Uh, for new gold. So this, again, should be bullish for the price. And it tells you the fact that these companies have to merge because it's hard to maintain profitability at $1,200 gold, that you know the gold price is too low and that the gold price is going to go up. But again, the markets are looking at a relatively bullish announcement and just you know yawning, not even caring about it. And obviously, too, if the investment bankers are looking at the prospects of earning some M&A fees in the gold sector, that may create an incentive for them to take another look at these companies and maybe put a buy rating 
on, on some of these gold stocks. After all, it's easier to win the banking concessions and the M&A stuff if you're at least got a buy recommendation on the stock, right? I mean, you're not supposed to be doing that, right? There's supposedly some kind of Chinese wall, uh, but I think that wall in many cases is made at a, at a tissue paper. People can see right through it. And I think it's, it's clear that, you know, you might start to see some upgrades by analysts of some of these stocks because they think, hey, this might help uh, my company uh, get, a, get an M&A deal. But all of this should be bullish. If more analysts start putting buy recommendations on gold stocks, well, somebody might actually take those buy recommendations seriously and start to buy these stocks. So I'm encouraged by the news. I personally, I mean, I own both those stocks. I've owned those stocks for some time. Um, we own them in our funds. Uh, I'm not making a recommendation. Again, I don't give stock recommendations on the podcast. I'm just talking about stocks that are in the news and just disclosing that I happen to own those particular stocks. Uh, but, you know, whether or not you should be buying these stocks uh, yourself uh, is a decision that you need to make after you've done your own homework. You should talk to one of my brokers at Europe Pacific Capital, whether or not buying individual gold stocks is appropriate for you or whether you should look at buying my fund uh, that invests in a portfolio of gold stocks or some of my other managed accounts that also uh, get involved in, in gold stocks. But nothing that I'm saying on this podcast should be taken as a recommendation by anybody to buy any particular stock. Now, another catalyst, too, that may be moving the gold price up will be on Wednesday when the Federal Reserve is expected once again to raise interest rates by another 25 basis points. And if you look back historically, every time the Fed raises interest rates, at least in this cycle, it has actually been a bullish catalyst for the price of gold. The Fed raises rates and the price of gold goes up. Then, of course, it goes back down again as the markets start to anticipate the next rate hike, because the idea is that rate hikes are bad for gold, even though every time the Fed has raised rates, gold has gone up, not down. So what's actually bad for gold is the anticipation of a rate hike, not the rate hike itself. The rate hike is actually proven to be bullish for gold, not bearish. It's just that since the markets are so worried about a hike and that they think a hike is bad for gold, that gold goes down before the Fed hikes and then finally rises. But remember, when the Fed raised rates for the very first time, gold bottomed out at 1050 And ever since then, the gold price has been creeping higher. And I think it will continue to creep higher until it gallops higher. At some point, this thing is going to break out. And I do think it makes sense that the breakout in the gold market will coincide with the breakdown in the bond market and the breakdown in the dollar. I think you'll see the bond market going down, the dollar going down, and gold going up all at the same time. Those are all a very, very ominous signs of a loss of confidence in the U.S., a loss of confidence in the dollar, the unwillingness on the part of the world to finance these massive U.S. government deficits, not only the massive government deficits that we're running now during prosperity and peacetime, but the much larger deficits that we potentially could run uh, if we go into recession or maybe have some type of a war. So I think the markets are going to start dumping dollars and dumping treasuries in advance of that. And of course, that means the Fed, if it ever intended to carry through with the prospects of shrinking its balance sheet, it is not going to be able to do that. The Fed is going to have to run the, the printing presses in, you know, over time in order to buy up not only all the bonds uh, that the government is selling now, but all the bonds they're going to be selling 
in the next economic downturn, which means the amount of money printing, the amount of inflation is going to be off the charts. And there's a good chance that if the bond market is going down, the dollar is going down, that the stock market is going to go down too. It, it, it can't defy those other markets indefinitely. That's what was happening in, in 1987, that the dollar was weakening, the bond market was weakening, but the stock market kept rising anyway until it crashed. And the same thing may end up happening again. The question is, when is the market going to crash? Will it do it before the midterm elections or after? And if the market does start to crash, how long before the Fed tries to prop it back up again with rate cuts and more QE if it hasn't already announced those programs? But the more interesting question will be, will it work? You know, will the Fed's announcement of more QE or rate cuts, will it work again? Will that be able to blow more air back into a deflating bubble? Or will the mere prospects of that, will the admission of that be enough uh, to cause the stock market to drop even further? Because now the illusion will be gone. The idea that all this worked, uh, that will you know, be, be in the trash, trash bin. People will now realize that this was an abysmal failure. And I don't know that the Fed is going to be able to get away with doing it. Again, remember, QE before, it was all about propping up the stock market and creating the wealth effect, but it was all based on the fact that it was temporary, that the Fed can remove the stimulus when it was no longer needed. My perspective was that that's impossible. It's like saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep taking drugs until I don't need it anymore. I'm going to keep ta taking drugs until I can just stay high perpetually without, without even having the drugs. I want to stop taking drugs, but I want to still be high. That's impossible. If you want to create an artificial market based on cheap money, you can't take the cheap money away and expect the artificial market to continue without its fuel. And, and, and so when they try to refuel it again, I think the whole thing can come imploding down because people will now realize that it is a permanent situation. It is not training wheels on a bike and that will take the training wheels off as soon as the, the bike can go on its own. It's, hey, the bike needs training wheels forever, that these are the only wheels we got. And, and since that's it, then there is you know, no hope and the market's going to come collapsing down because the Fed can't keep this going indefinitely without destroying the dollar, without creating money, runaway inflation, without destroying the bond market. And all that could be obvious to a lot of people who have been delusional uh, during this entire process. Now, I want to finish up this podcast by talking about the latest in the Brett Kavanaugh saga. Now, I don't know, maybe we're going to have to call this one Penisgate. Nobody has actually named it. But now we have another accuser. Remember, you know, we've been saying that, hey, or I've been saying anyway, but I'm sure other people, this is a one-off event, right? If Brett Kavanaugh was really the kind of guy that would have done what uh, Dr. Ford, Professor Ford, alleged that he did, you know, where are the other incidents, you know, there should be a pattern here. I mean, it's been 36 years. Uh, why hasn't he done this again? If he's such a bad guy, if he treats women so poorly, I mean, clearly he must have done it again. And the fact that he hasn't done it, the fact that this is a one-off event, uh, you know, this uh, lends a lot of credibility to the fact that maybe it didn't happen at all, right? And so now all of a sudden, the Democrats have managed to drudge up another person who is accusing Brett Kavanaugh of uh, a sexual misconduct or, or sexual assault. And this time, he wasn't in high school, right? He wasn't a minor. 
He was actually an adult. He was 18 years old, and he was a freshman at Yale University. And what were the circumstances surrounding this so-called sexual assault? Right? Well, the woman's name is Deborah Ramirez, and she was also a freshman at Yale University. So she is 53, which I believe is the same age as Brett Kavanaugh. And what uh, Deborah Ramirez has alleged is that one evening she went to a drinking party at a, a college dormitory, right? And they were playing some type of drinking game, and there were quite a few uh, freshmen that had been gathered that were participating in the game, and that I'm not exactly sure the name of the drinking game, but she said that they called on you, and that when they called on you to do something, you had to take a drink. And she admitted that she was being called on a lot, so she was completely wasted. In fact, apparently she was close to being passed out on the floor. Things were kind of hazy, right? She has spotty recollection of what was going on that night because she had had so much to drink. And obviously, everybody else was drinking because, you know, it was a drinking game in which everybody playing the game was drinking. So she was not the only one drunk. All these 18-year-old kids in this dorm room were drunk. And then she testified that while she was on the floor inebriated, right, that there were two or three guys around. Oh, and before all this happened or somewhere, somebody took out a, a rubber or plastic penis. And they were all playing with this, uh, this plastic penis and joking about the plastic penis, right? So that was part of the whole, uh, the whole game or that's part of the background here. So then one of the guys decided to drop his pants and expose his actual penis. And apparently uh, this penis was in relatively close proximity uh, to Deborah Ramirez's face, which really freaked her out because according to Deborah, she had never seen or touched a penis in her life, and she had no intention of ever touching a penis until she was married. And so when she tried to push this individual away from her, she inadvertently touched the penis by accident. And that was what freaked her out so much because, again, she was waiting until marriage to, to touch a penis. Now, she thinks that it was Brett Kavanaugh's penis that she touched, right? Because obviously, I mean, there were several guys around. I mean, it could have been anybody. In fact, it could have been the rubber penis that she touched. I mean, after all, she had never touched a penis, so how does she know what a penis even feels like? So how does she know that she even touched one? She could have touched the rubber one, but whatever, she believes that she touched uh, a penis. But she's pretty sure that it was Brett Kavanaugh's penis because even though she was drunk, she heard another guy screaming from down the hall, right? Down the hall, Brett Kavanaugh just put his penis in Debbie's face. So that was screamed from down the hall. So therefore, she knew that the penis that she had inadvertently touched belonged to Brett Kavanaugh. Now, first of all, there are a lot of problems with this. First of all, so someone is down the hall and they, they already knew about the fact that Brett Kavanaugh had put his penis in Debbie's face. How do you know he was down the hall? How could he be so sure what was happening at the other side of the hall? But why would he yell out, Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, why use his full last name? I mean, how many Bretts were there at that party, uh, you know, pulling out their penises? I mean, did he really have to say that it was Brett Kavanaugh who did it as opposed to one of the other Bretts? I mean, it doesn't seem right that you would scream out the entire name. 
But now, when he talked about Deborah, he didn't say her full name. He didn't say that Brett Kavanaugh just put his penis in Deborah Ramirez's face. He said Brett Kavanaugh just put his penis in Debbie's face. I mean, Debbie gets a nickname, right? It's not Deborah, right? It's Debbie. So he's Brett Kavanaugh, his entire name, and she's, she's just referred to as Debbie. Doesn't make any sense. But the word that makes the least amount of sense to me is penis. Now, there are a lot of words that teenagers, college teens, could use to describe that particular part of the male anatomy. Penis is not likely to be one of them. So I could think of a lot of words that might have been screamed from the other end of the hallway about what Brett did to Debbie and about what Brett put in Debbie's face. But I don't think that the word would have been penis. So all of this sounds completely ridiculous. I mean, first of all, this is not sexual assault. He just flashed his penis at a drinking game in a high school dorm. Now, look, there are certainly going to be circumstances where, you know, flashing your penis uh, can be seen to be some kind of a sexual assault. I mean, I, I get that. I mean, if Brett Kavanaugh, while a circuit judge, right, in his chamber, if a female attorney or a court reporter or some other judge had come into his chambers to have some important legal discussion, and, and, and then Kavanaugh dropped his pants and just, you know, sh you know and waved his, his penis at her face. Yeah, I don't think he should be on the Supreme Court. I, I would be all in favor of, yep, you know, that would disqualify you. That kind of behavior, I don't think we should have that in the Supreme Court. We shouldn't have that in any court. But if you're telling me that 35 years ago at a drinking party where they're passing around rubber penises and... One of the kids who may have been Brett Kavanaugh happens as a joke to expose his actual penis into the conversation for laughs. You know, was it appropriate? No, but probably nothing they were doing at that drinking game was appropriate. It happens. Stuff like that. The guy was in a fraternity. You know what happens? Probably at college fraternities. Uh, you know, I'm not excusing it all. I'm just putting it in its proper context. This was not a sexual assault. Again, even if he did it, which he very well might not have done it. She's talking about how drunk she was. She doesn't have any firsthand knowledge, apparently, uh, that it was Brett Kavanaugh. She heard it from a guy down the hall. And then I think she said there was some other talk hearsay that maybe the penis belonged to Brett Kavanaugh. But she doesn't know that. I mean, all she's, she saw the penis, apparently. She just didn't see the face that was attached to the penis. So, you know, the whole thing reminds me of that movie Porky's uh, from the 1980s. You know, maybe we should just call in a sketch artist, right? And um, Miss Maria can just kind of describe the penis that she saw to the sketch artist, and he could draw a picture of it. And then we could compare it to Kavanaugh and see if, uh, you know, if it's accurate, right? I don't know. I mean, maybe someone's going to say, well, he's 35 years older. Maybe, maybe it's aged. I don't know. I mean, I don't think your penis ages that much. Uh, I mean, I mean, maybe we could have a computer do a simulation and try to factor in for that. And then, you know, she could uh, she could try to identify it that way. I don't know. Maybe we could do like a police lineup, right? We can get about a dozen guys in a lineup. We have to make sure we hide their faces so she can't see the individuals. And then they just drop their pants. And then she can see if she can identify Kavanaugh that way. 
by his penis. And then maybe if she could do that, maybe she's got some kind of point to say, yes, it was Kavanaugh's. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, it's, it's probably somewhat impressive. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been so you know, willing to show the thing off in front of so many other people that were in that room. Um, so let's see her identify. But I mean, look, all kidding aside, this kind of stuff is nonsense. I mean, so what? They, they, they are playing a drinking game. I mean, you might as well even go back further and, and have people coming out. Oh, yeah, I was sp playing spin the bottle with the guy or seven minutes in heaven, right? And, and, and uh, or truth or dare. I mean, who, who knows the crazy things kids are doing when they're playing truth or dare? All this stuff is now sexual harassment, sexual assault, attempted rape. This, this is teens behaving badly, which a lot of teens do. And fortunately, they grow out of it. And I'm sure whatever Brett Kavanaugh may or may not have done, he has grown out of it by now. But of course, he might not have done any of this stuff. There is no proof that he's done. Like the funniest thing, or I mean, I hate to say it's funny, but I heard, and I don't know if it was Feinstein or a different senator, but somebody said, and you can look it up because I'm not making this up. So you'll find it uh, on the internet somewhere. But somebody said that Brett Kavanaugh's denial was too strong, that it was disrespectful to Ms. Ford, the way he just categorically and, and denied her allegations. I mean, come on, if the allegations are false, what else is the guy going to do? I mean, that's exactly what you would expect Brett Kavanaugh to do if he was falsely accused of something, right? When you are accused of something that you did not do the last thing on your mind is how do I be respectful to the person who's lying about me, right? You're going to be emphatic. You're going to be strong. I did not do that. Uh-uh. No way. She's lying. Wasn't me. Never did it. You're going to be as strong as you can because you know what? If you are not strong in your denial, if you do not categorically and unequivocally deny whatever fiber in your being the allegations, then people are going to say, oh, well, maybe he did it. Right? I mean, he's being wishy-washy. He can't try to be respectful about the person who he believes is lying about him. Now, look, it's possible that she's not lying and that Brett Kavanaugh is innocent of what she's charging because, A, it was 36 years ago. So she may recall things that did, in fact, did not happen. That's possible. It's possible that Brett Kavanaugh and, and uh, Dr. Ford were at a party together, uh, and it's possible that she believes that this happened and it didn't happen. They may have even been in that room together. Who knows? But what she remembers and what Brett Kavanaugh remember could be two completely different things. And it's possible that one of them is, uh, is, has an accurate recollection. And it's possible that neither of them have an accurate recollection because they were both drunk, according to uh, Professor Ford. But, of course, the other way that she could be telling the truth and Kavanaugh can also be telling the truth, is if it wasn't Kavanaugh. It is possible that what Dr. Ford remembers happening actually happened the way she remembers it, except that it wasn't Brett Kavanaugh, it was somebody else, which is also possible, right? So there, 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 But regardless, the thing that Brett Kavanaugh is not going to do when he is accused of doing something that he believes he did not do is he is going to forcefully deny it. And that's exactly what he's doing. And to say he shouldn't be doing that out of respect for his accuser, that he, you know, that is complete nonsense. But, you know, this whole thing is going to turn into a show 
they're supposedly both testifying or on Thursday, and they are going to try to bring in all of the things that happen uh, at colleges, at high schools, drinking, fraternities, all the things that guys do uh, when they've had too much to drink. And of course, you know, the women are not blameless here in, in these circumstances. I mean, you know, they are actively participating in these drinking games. I mean, they don't have to participate. They don't have to go there, right? Uh, but they're there. Again, that doesn't excuse what the guys are doing. But none of this is relevant to Brett Kavanaugh as a 53-year-old man and whether or not he is qualified to be a Supreme Court justice. How he may or may not be, have behaved uh, while drunk in high school or college. Yes, I mean, if he commits real crimes, okay, you know, we want to hold him accountable. But this kind of adolescent behavior, this kind of drunken, uh, you know, behavior that is very common, you know, on college campuses throughout uh, the country. And remember, this is Yale. These are these are the cream of the crop. Stuff like this is going on at Yale, Ivy League College. Imagine what's going on at all the other colleges. These are the A students. These are the guys that got 15, 1600s on their SATs. These are the future Supreme Court justices. And they're still playing, you know, playing sex games and drinking games, uh, you know, at, at college. Imagine what's going on, you know, in the colleges that don't get the cream of the crop, right? <laughs> so this is widespread. And, you know, it theoretically could disqualify every man from ever being nominated to the Supreme Court again, because there isn't a guy out there that some girl can't accuse him of doing something uh, when he was in high school or college. And even if you did nothing, even if you went through your college years, you never went to a party, you never had a drink, you never even came into contact with a girl, there's nothing that stops some girl from lying, or woman now, lying and saying, yeah, 35 years ago, this is what you did. And now you can't deny it because that's disrespectful. Women always tell the truth. Guys always lie. All this stuff comes out, so it's done, right? The Supreme Court's just going to have to be all women, right, uh, from now on because there's no way to nominate a man because it's so easy to disrupt the process. I mean, they keep saying, what does Professor Ford have to gain, right? Why would she falsely accuse him of doing something? What's in it for her? Well, if her goal is to derail Brett Kavanaugh's uh, Supreme Court nomination, then that's what's in it for her. And it's possible maybe Brett Kavanaugh did something to her that she didn't like. Maybe this is finally she's getting a revenge. I mean, who knows? why she came forward. The fact of the matter is she did. And I know they're trying to say, well, she didn't really want to, and it all got leaked. How do we know that? Maybe this was their plan the whole time to pretend it got leaked out. I mean, we don't know how they hatched this whole thing up, but obviously too, there could be a lot in it for her. I mean, she used to be obscure. Now she's got her, you know, her, her fame, her 30 minutes of fame, which could parlay into a book deal or a movie deal. She could be giving speeches now for the rest of her life, 50, $100,000 a speech. I mean, she can create an entire business out of this. So I can think of a lot of reasons that she would do it, right? And of course, you know, no one is going to think badly of her, right? Because, you know, she's telling the truth. I mean, yeah, there's going to be some people that think she's lying, Okay, but most people will, will not think that way. They're going to think that she's this courageous woman and she is going, that's going to carry a lot of weight in certain circles. The one that's going to be harmed by it is Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, even if Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed to the Supreme Court, you're still going to have all sorts of people who believe that these allegations are true 
And who knows what else is going to be drudged up during this process, you know, out of his past that maybe he's not so proud of. I mean, how many people are proud of the things we do when we're drunk and we're teens, right? And now all of a sudden, this dirty uh, laundry is going to have to be aired in front of everybody. And how many people want to testify under oath, under penalty of perjury, about everything they did in college, at a fraternity, or at a dorm, when you were drunk, right? I mean, this is not the kind of stuff that we really want to talk about. But of course, if Brett Kavanaugh is going to be forced to talk about it and maybe admit some things that he'd rather not discuss, that now his teenage daughters are going to have to are going to have to hear. And that doesn't mean that he did what he's being accused of doing, right? He may have done something that's nowhere near as bad as, you know, covering a woman's mouth and not letting her scream. But whatever he did, however he acted when he was a teenager and drinking, you know, if in fact he was drinking as much as is being alleged, which of course may not be the truth either. But he's the one that's going to have to live with this stigma, even if he's confirmed to the Supreme Court. But I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I think that this whole thing is going to go down in flames. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I just see this whole thing snowballing and ultimately he's going to have to withdraw. Even though he's saying now he's not going to do it, uh, it's just going to be too costly a battle uh, to do it. But then who are you going to nominate to take his place? Now, I mean, it would be absolutely ridiculous if another guy was nominated and the exact same thing happened. And somebody else came out and made the same allegations. I mean, maybe we'll see. Maybe if all the bad stuff comes out under Kavanaugh, maybe Trump can come up with another pick uh, that may be able to coast in uh, because, you know, all this stuff would have come out. Of course, Trump could always nominate a woman, right, and then defuse the time bomb, right, because, you know, if it's a woman, then there's no way anybody's going to come out with any of these types of, of allegations. But hopefully that's not what happens because that's basically – just surrendering and, and, and setting the precedent for the future uh, where all men are guilty uh, until proven innocent. In fact, they don't even have the chance to prove their innocence, that they're just automatically guilty just because a woman claims they did something wrong. And anything that they did, no matter what it is, no matter where it is on the scale right, of relativity, and no matter when it occurred in time or what the circumstances were, there is a zero tolerance, no uh, redemption clause. You behave badly once to any woman and it's one strike, you're out. And even if you didn't behave badly, if somebody just claims that you did, then you're still out. Mm -hmm.